Rolling. All right. Three, two, one. Ow! Ow! <laughs> Baby, we are back. Episode number 21 of The Wild Times. Yes. Wild Times. Dude, it's so funny, man. Like, what you know... It, it's just the nature of being a stupid-ass fucking human. Like, just, you think about a scam or a scheme, and you're just like, dude, we could do this. And Booze right. always feels this shit, dude. Like, <laughs> so what's up, guys? Oh, yeah. Hello. Chillin'. What's up, so for, for Hest? So, yeah, for those that don't know that are joining us for the first time, 21 episodes in, you're late. What are you doing? Come on now. But if you don't know us, I am one of your three hosts, Mr. Forrest Galante, the broologist. I'm joined tonight by Mr. Peter Fitzer, the professor, and of course, the always shirtless Patrick DeLuca, the producer. What's up, gents? Ow, Oof. ow. All right, I just so keep doing it because you have no shirt on, mate. Right yeah, into it good. tonight. It's, it's hot as shit in here, and I turned the AC off so that I, I'm not getting a hum. Uh, both ah. of your backgrounds are, are different than I've ever seen. Where, where, where the fuck are you guys? What's going on? Mm. Where are you, Peter? Me, I, I'm in Reseda, California, from the Tom Petty song right now. There you go. I swear I got my shit set up now. There you go. And, uh, that's why it's different for me. What about you, Forrest? I am in Bozeman, Montana, baby. Mm. There. What's up, uh, Boz? Yeah, you know, I haven't taken a true vacation in probably five or six years that hasn't been work-related um, in some way or another. And after a little COVID stint of being locked at home. I jumped in my truck, fly fished my way through Utah and made it to Montana this afternoon. What parts of, uh, where'd you stop in Utah, man? I was just there. It's, it's way prettier than I thought it was. Well, we, so we went through Utah and then into Idaho and honestly, I didn't fish a whole lot in Utah, but came, you know, up from Vegas into shoot. What was the name of that first town? Uh, crap. I literally don't even remember. Kind of up in the mountains though. Oh, yeah. Beautiful valleys, rock formations. Absolutely stunning. Drove through that for quite a while and then started to slow down in Idaho. And then around mm. like the Twin Falls area of Idaho is where I started fishing. And uh, just it's just been awesome. It's just beautiful up here. You look good out there. I like that you caught that fish and then you released it. Made me feel good. Thanks, Peter. Thank you. I, I yeah, caught and loose. released many and I caught and ate two and it was a treat. Nice. What is, what, so are you actually like a competent fly fisherman? Oh, I love fly fishing. That was like my first love of fishing. Um, before I got into spear fishing or deep sea fishing or anything, it was all about fly fishing. So I'm, uh, you know, there's certainly a lot of guys a lot better than me, but I enjoy it a lot. That's for sure. It's very like meditative. Out of all the ways that you fish, which one is the hardest? Would you say, is it fly fishing? Like you said, spear fishing and, and all the other ways. Um, you know, I've never been noodling, but I imagine that's the hardest. Sticking your hand in a catfish hole and letting it latch onto you and pulling it. Uh, yeah, I heard that fly fishing's uh, really relaxing. Like a, a buddy of mine I was just talking to, and he was going, and he's not an outdoorsman whatsoever, and he said he recently got into it, and it's like really like helping him with like anxiety and shit. Like he loves it. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's like, you know, yesterday I'm in Idaho I, I pull up, I have this app called Onyx, and if anybody's into the outdoors and you're looking for cool spots, you got to get this app. And I pull up this app called Onyx, and I'm like, where are there some like cool creeks and off-road trails from here? Find just a random one somewhere like 30 miles outside of Twin Falls, Idaho, jump on a dirt track, drive for an hour, pull over, you know, off this dirt road, literally wade out in my board shorts, and there's trout, you know, like popping on the surface and you just cast and you walk down the river and it's beautiful and the sun's setting it's 75 degrees out it's just you know i like to, I, you lose track of time you're like i'll fish for an hour and then six hours go by and you're like wow that was a perfect day nice nice well look uh i think the brosners want us to get into this 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 fantastic story that came across all of our desks independently this week from our, our various sources <laughs> I like this for us because, you know, you, you are a sharkman through and through. You Indeed. You are a sharky mermaid, if you will. And, uh, I will. <laughs> I will. I saw, I saw that uh, uh, a man punched a great white shark in the face repeatedly, getting it to let go of his wife's leg. It was a couple surfing in Australia. Mm -hmm. A 10-foot white shark pulled his wife off her board and underwater. 
Let's stop there. Before we get to the punches, <laughs> what, what what's going on there? Why is the shark pulling someone off their board? So first of all, you know, there's a couple things that happen when a great white shark makes an attack. If you ever look up at a person sitting on a surfboard from underwater, what it looks like is a seal and their little flippers are dangling off the sides of the surfboard. And what happened here is a shark came up, took a little nibble ski to do an investigative bite because it thought something was wrong, grabbed onto a, a fleshy appendage, an arm or sorry, a leg in this case, and uh, and pulled the woman down and thought, hmm, this is actually something I can eat. This this sounds good. So he thought it was a tasty treat. It wasn't like I'm going to go human hunting today. That's what I'm feeling a bit peckish. I'm in the mood, mood for some man. Indeed. Okay. <laughs> so it grabs her by the leg, pulls her off. Yep. Obviously, this guy really likes his wife because he swims over to it, starts blasting it in the face. <laughs> is that the right thing to do? Uh, <laughs> it's funny because it kind of is. Um, and I'm sure it's just instinct that makes someone do that. But it, it, it really kind of is the right thing to do. And the reason being, um, you know, look, if, you, if, if you're witnessing a shark attack, and you're like this guy and you're going to do anything to stop it from taking place. There's two places you three places, I guess, that you want to try and affect the shark. One is its eyes. The second is its gills. And the third, as this guy did, is its nose. And the reason its nose is a pressure point at which the animal would let go is the nose is filled with gel filled sacs called the ampullae of Lorenzini. And those sacs are hmm. stimulated anytime that any kind of thing touches those gel filled sacs. So if you punch it in the nose, it's super overwhelming. And, and so I think, you know, to the average person, you'd be like, oh, I punched a shark in the in the face. I kicked its ass. This isn't like Rocky Balboa getting hit in the face. You know what I mean? It's not like, oh, fuck this and like let it go. <laughs> it's like, yeah. wow, it is having a sensory overload and it cannot physically continue doing what it's doing because of that sensory overload. And so it has to let go of the person that it's attacking. Nice. So it just scurries away then. And, and it doesn't it gets does it get stunned or does it just run away? Well, here's the thing. I think it definitely if this, doesn't scurry away. It doesn't scurry. <laughs> There's no scurry. Sharks can scurry. <laughs> I think in this situation, if you know that shark were truly trying to like eat the woman, if it you know if it were going nuts um, as far as like a feeding, it wouldn't have come up and had a nibble and pulled her down. Right? It would have breached. It would have come up and hammered her at speed. Um, and it didn't. Mm. So this was more like an investigative bite. So when the guy came over and punched it, that animal was already on kind of on the cautionary track of being like, what is this thing that looks weird that I'm going to go and taste? And I was like, oh, okay, this is, this is something I can eat. I'm going to pull down and then it's getting punched in the face. So it's probably like, you know what? This is no good. This doesn't taste like seal. It doesn't taste like sea turtle. Something's wrong here. Now I'm getting punched in the face. Sensory overload. I'm out of here. I'm out. Dude, what a stud, man. Like that guy, you know, he's going to yeah. he's going to get a lot of BJ's. Speaking of BJ's, guys, uh I've oh, been boy. getting a lot more fanfare on Instagram. I don't know what happened. Numbers are up and a lot more people are following, but PJ Hollahan that's close to BJ. It's it's different, but sure. He said, I was told if I message you guys, what answers? So I come in need of sage advice. You got you ready for this? I know you love giving sage advice, Forrest. I think he wants advice from me, but sure. Go ahead. Please continue. This, this girl I've been hooking up with really loves Malayan tapirs. Tapirs? Tapirs, but please tapirs. continue. Do yep. any of you guys have any fun tapir facts or stories that will make this girl want to have sex with me more? Thank you. How, wow. How many different ways are you going to pronounce that animal's name wrong? Tapir, a topper. Tapir. Give this guy some tapir facts for us. Well, he needs to get laid in a BJ, too. It's, BJ it's needs weird a BJ. because I was like really excited to drop a bunch of facts until it was about getting this guy laid. And then I was like, do I, do I contribute or do I pull back at this point? Nah, you got to get this guy laid, man. It sounds like right. he's never been laid ever. What what's his name? Let's 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 remind everybody of his name. Uh, PJ Hollahan. I was just kidding. I'm sure you've been laid many many times, PJ. Okay, let's see what cool facts do I have. Well, the Malayan tapir, um, as a baby, looks a bit like a pig zebra. Imagine a pig with stripes of a, a zebra, as you Yanks say, or a zebra, as I say. Um, <laughs> very stripy and very beautiful. And as it becomes an adult. 
it gets the coloration of a panda bear. So a lot of people see oh, wow. images of juvenile Malayan tapirs and go, what you know, what kind of animal is that? Or an adult and go, what kind of animal is that? And it's it's the very same animal that just changes coloration as they grow. So there's a fun fact for you. There we go. Get, Garrett, get. that's, that's going to work. That's going to work. Definitely. Didn't mean to interrupt the news with fanfare, but there's so much I feel like I need to start sprinkling it in. No, this is good. I mean, you know, we are here to get you laid. If you're, if you're a Brisner, <laughs> is that what we're calling them? That's why we started the podcast. Oh, a, a Brault, as in bro cult, came through, came across my desk the other day. The Brault. Came across your brand new desk. That's nice. Yeah. <laughs> I like we that you've already here. got a staff up and running at the new spot. Yeah. So spe- <laughs> speaking of new spots, uh, when are we getting the studio going? Are, are we just going to all move into Peter's girlfriend's place or what are we thinking? I'm sure she'd be down. Yeah. Just- oh, she'd be down. Oh, yeah. fuck you. Speaking of getting laid, Forrest, <laughs> pipe, pipe down. Put your pants back on, mate. <laughs> I will not. So Forrest, I know that you know you've had a mobile desk this week, but you were you were awfully excited about this this news coming out of Japan. Mm. Oh yeah, it's it's it, it's my favorite piece of news that I've seen in the wildlife world, probably in the last twenty one weeks. That nice we've been doing this podcast. Let's have it. Here is the title: A study in Japan showed that a certain species of water beetle evolved so that when eaten by a pond frog, they're able to survive. By climbing out through the frog's rectum, it can take up to two hours, but 93% of the beetles were able to escape with no harm done, which I think is absolutely insane. Imagine just getting gobbled up by something and, uh, and taking a little journey through the through the old frog gut and just escaping Ugh. out the back door, like what a what a play! No, it's it's <laughs> it's terrible. It's it's got to be distressing to say the least. So, do you think it, it develops some sort of like coating on its exoskeleton that keeps it from getting digested, or what do you th- what do you think's going on there? I think that's exactly it. I think it's got this hardened exoskeleton. Um, you know, the thing about the pond frogs is. Uh, they have, like all frogs, they have relatively large intestines for their body size. And I think this this beetle just knows to kind of bear down and go through, uh, you know, travel through the esophagus into the stomach, into the small intestines, into the large intestines, and and out we go. And it's, uh, Crazy. it's quite a journey. <laughs> Man. Do you think that beetle goes back to, like, his other bro beetles and is like, yo, did it, went on the journey, have you tried it? Yeah, it's like losing your virginity in high school. Yeah. Yeah, it's a rite of passage to get through. Only 93% make it. 7%? Dunzo. Slowly get digested and shit out. Brutal. Dunzo. Yep. <laughs> I think it's hilarious. I really do. Did you see this story about the uh, the Deathstalker scorpion? Oh, yeah. So the reason that I, I highlighted that in our show doc um, is because I... Uh, so this came out like... I don't know. I would say for the first time, maybe two years ago, right? And they were like, oh, the scorpion venom is the most expensive liquid in the world. It costs $39 million per gallon. And when this Mm. happened, when this dropped, there was this mad rush of people trying to figure out how to get the scorpion venom, right? Um, Including three of my friends. And uh, this is, to me, the most funny part of this is including my three friends that approached me about trying to get these scorpions. Nobody figured out what you do with the scorpion venom, right? So it's (laughs) the, the reason that it's worth $39 million per gallon is because of how impossible it is to get it. But where do you sell it? It does, You can't sell score. Nobody's buying it. You know what right. I mean? So the value placed on it is like anecdotal. It, it means nothing. So wait, but it says that it, they use it for medical research, but who's they and what are they doing with it? Exactly. That's the whole question, right? So, and this actually turned into, and you, you can look this up. They're turned into all these scorpion farms were popping up all of a sudden to try and breed these things, to try and milk them. But nobody wants to buy it. Like nobody's buying a gallon of the scorpion venom. You know, they, they, in the facilities, the medical facilities where they're trying to produce medicine out of this venom, they're just milking them themselves and, and using right. it. So if you rolled just... up with a gallon, a growler of scorpion venom, they'd be like, dude, we need like a teaspoon forever. Exactly. <laughs> so we it's just like, gallon, it's just bro. nonsense. <laughs> dude, it's so funny, man. Like, what you know, it's just the nature of being a stupid ass fucking human. Like, just 
you think about a scam or a scheme and you're just like, dude, we could do this. And booze right. always fuels this shit, dude. Like, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> I remember uh, my buddy Laz got his driver's license when we were in high school. He was a, for whatever reason, the way he was, he just got his license like a year before everyone else did. And uh, we saw the Seinfeld episode where Kramer tries to do the Michigan can scam. Great. Yeah. <laughs> Are you aware of this, Forrest? No, I, I, I'm not. I, All I'm right. looking forward to hearing about so, it. So you take a, an aluminum can for a soda bottle, a beer, whatever. You get five cents when you return the cans in the, the states that have that program. New York, where I grew up, is one of them. Okay. But you get 10 cents in Michigan. Okay. Okay. So you pay a 10 cent deposit per can or bottle in Michigan. So the idea is that if you return, up, you take enough cans from New York to Michigan and return them, you're Make doubling. Money. You're getting yeah. 10 cents a can. Right. Right. So we did the math. We realized if we took the seats out of his minivan, which he was rolling with at the time, <laughs> filled it to the brim, paid for gas, and just drove straight through, returned the cans, we could make like 240 bucks each. <laughs> so and did we you go it? for it? Fuck yes, dude. No way. Nice. Yeah, we, we did the Michigan can scam. It was fantastic. <laughs> uh, we went did to, it before Seinfeld did it even, yeah? No, it was after. We, we stole the idea. But we went nice. over to this one guy's house in our neighborhood, and his mom was apparently an alcoholic, and she had never, their entire basement was floor-to-ceiling cans. Oh, boy. So we, so we just, we had one stop, filled it with cans, drove the 14 hours to Michigan, returned them, came back. 200 bucks richer. Well, so 200 bucks richer, is that including the cost of gas and everything? Yeah, once we pulled the cost of gas out, we each made a couple hundred bucks. Okay. Um, if you amortize that over the cost of the trip, that's about seven bucks an hour each that we made for it. <laughs> that's huge. That so, is huge. So yeah. not great. Not great. No, that's all right. When you're 16, <laughs> I mean, you could buy a lot of, uh, what'd you buy with it, man? Anything... Did you uh, just save it, put it in the stock market? Some nah, food. I'm sure just booze and, you know, McDonald's or something. Mountain, D Mountain Dew and Taco Bell. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, Forrest, what's up with this road trip? Is the plan just kind of drive and see where the road takes you? Yeah, man. So I I, uh, I got into Montana this evening, um, set up here in the hotel room, um, you know, just to, just to record with you fine gents. But after today, for the next week, I will be living out the back of the truck. I'm getting a camper put on. Uh, with a pop-up tent for my buddies at Go Fast Campers. And nice. I'm going to just, yeah, I'm just going to sleep in the tent on top of the truck and try and stay off anything pavement and just fish and cruise and, uh, you know, just kind of live live off-road. Like, our state's on fire. I don't need to be there, you know? Yeah. Air quality's terrible. Yeah. It's, it's nice out here. Dude, there's 500 wildfires raging in just the state of California right now. And it's not even fire season yet, technically. Doesn't it normally start in, like, October? So it's, like, historically early and then just ferocious, man. Oh, it's, yeah. a, it's a disaster. Yeah, it is a disaster. Like, you, you think at some point that entire state would basically burn down... And then they'd be like, okay, we're good for the next 60 years. Like, this isn't going to happen anymore. Like, we've been leveled by fire. Everything's nice now. But that it, it just seems to get worse year after year. Well, put your, imagine this, right? So for listeners who aren't in California, they probably are annoyed by this. But it's a fucking problem every year. There's just tons of wildfires in California. Yeah, we have it's a too fire season. Dry. Uh, yep. It's too dry. It's just a mess. So... Last year, I didn't realize this, dude, but last year in the like high fire areas, which Malibu is one of them. Mm -hmm. yep. So Malibu is this ultra, you've heard of it, super fancy beach. There's all these mansions, like I'm talking like $60 million mansions. Mm -hmm. All of the insurance companies said, we no longer, we will not insure you starting next year, right? Mm. So everyone freaked out and the state can't really mandate that you insure a $60 million mansion. So you've got all these like, you know, multi, multi-million dollar mansions that basically what the, the compromise was that the insurance companies had to insure up to $1.5 million of the house for fire. Right. So you've got $60 million mansions that are only, if it burns to the ground, they're going to get $1.5 million. So you can't yeah. even buy a, like, why would you, why would you fucking live there at this point? Well, Malibu was one of the spots that got hit the hardest. What was that? Last year, the year couple, before? Couple years ago, yeah. Yeah, it was like yeah. ridiculous. They had to evacuate everybody and it took them like a year to recover. And that, so that, the fire last year, oh no, I guess it's two years, three years ago now, the Thomas fire, 
which is the one that I got stuck in. Yeah, nearly hit my house, and we had the mudslides and got trapped for 10 days with no power, blah, blah, blah. Um, During that fire, that was the largest fire that the state of California had ever seen. This year, six fires are bigger than it this year alone. Holy shit, dude. So that goes to show you the scale of the fires this year and how bad they are, right? Like when the Thomas fire broke out a couple years ago, it was like, wow, this is the largest fire we've ever seen to date. Six fires right now raging as we record this podcast are larger than the Thomas fire. The largest the state had ever seen two years ago. And these fires, they so some of them start naturally, but literally there are arsonists. There's an arsonist uh, that started one of the huge ones this year. I'm like, what What would compel somebody to fucking do something like that, man? Well, I, the thing with that guy, too, and not to get political or anything, it's just this is the truth. He's a, he's a crazy person that they know was an arsonist because he'd started fires before he'd been in the penal system but uh he just kind of floated through and he started this fire that's like just fucking catastrophic dude burning hundreds of thousands if not millions of acres now he's going to jail for life probably doesn't care this is his fucking defining moment he's probably stoked man i didn't know that this was like a person that we knew of that had been arrested what does is there reason behind this do we know anything about this Probably uh, mad at his neighbors. No, he's just a, a crazy person who had started some fires before and had been arrested, and then they just kind of drove him down the block and dropped him off somewhere else. Um, I don't know how they know that he started one of the big ones that's pretty close to L.A. Here's one of the things about these fires that I think a lot of people don't understand that I think is worth bringing up. Biolo- speaking from a biologist standpoint, so fire in California is a good thing, and it is a necessity, Right? We live in a sagebrush desert for the most part that should burn periodically. It should burn every 10, 20, 30 years to put nutrients back into the ground to help the ecosystem continue to be fertile. Right, mm-hmm. But what we have done is we've taken, we being human beings, we've taken over California. Right, And in doing that, what we've done is said, no fires. Right, We want our beautiful $60 million mansions in Malibu. So no fires, no fires. So what we do is we knock back the fires and we go, no fires this year, no fires next year. And we, we make all this fire prevention take place so that all the undergrowth stacks up over 30, 40, 50 years. And then mm. when a fire does break out, and this is what we're seeing this right now, we saw it with the Thomas fire and it's worse now. When a fire does happen, there's so much back buildup of undergrowth that the fire rages at such a hot temperature that it doesn't do any good and it's uncontrollable. You can't any longer put it out. And additionally to that, it's raging at such a hot temperature that it's scorching the earth and killing everything instead of refertilizing it, including, as we're seeing in Northern California currently, killing like 200, 300-year-old redwood trees that are that have natural built-in fire resistance because they should be burning every 10 or 20 years with a mm. small fire that should sweep through there and then put itself out. So we yeah. are the we are actually the problem. The fires are not the problem. The fires are natural. They should be happening, but they should be happening frequently and at a lower temperature to be good for the ecosystem. And what we have done is make them happen infrequently at a much higher burn rate that causes way more destruction um, which is terrible. And and to, to add another element to this, which I think is really fascinating, if you look at ancient cultures, even in the state of California, they do controlled burns because they knew this was the case. Only we as modern civilization are like, no, 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 no controlled burns. Like, we're not going to let stuff burn. We're just going to let it all stockpile so that when something burns, it's a fucking disaster. And then, you know, look at what we're facing currently. So it's uh, it's quite well, something. Well, one yeah. possible yeah. solution has to do with the wild, wild time stuff. Goats. Goats. Yep. Goats are pretty what? good. Yeah. And, and, and grazers in general, right? If we had more deer, more wild goats, which we should have in the state of California, by the way, um, not the mm-hmm. kind that we're all thinking of, but, you know, wild sheep and goats, we would have less b- brush buildup and better fire management. So I, I have a friend who lives in uh, Palos Verdes, which is a suburb uh, south of L.A. And uh, it's a lot of like mountainy sort of terrain. And, and uh, you get a lot of th- uh, this dude has a slope on his property that gets just a ton of this sagebrush fall, whatever. And he yeah. pays like two or three times a year, pays a service. They come in, they bring 10 or 15 or 20 goats and the goats just eat the shit. And then the guy packs up his goats and leaves. Yep. <laughs> and that's how he keeps his hillside clear. 
<laughs> D- new business idea. Let's Fuck get into ghosts. <laughs> Let's start getting Dude, I goats. mean, not only that, but this fucking baby goat yoga shit that's just taken off. It's, it's every- huge. Dude, it's... Baby st- yoga? Remember- what? Are you kidding me? You, you must have seen this. There's no way you haven't seen this. Of course not. I saw... Okay, so like two, two years ago, I saw a friend of mine. She posted on Instagram that she had gone to this yoga class where... While you're doing yoga, baby goats just climb around on you. And they're the cutest thing in the world. And, you know, they just climb around on you. And now it's like, I was like, oh, God, that's such an L.A. Like, God, <laughs> oh, my so God, yeah. It is everywhere, dude. Like, you could be in, like, Oswego, New York, where I'm from. They probably have baby goat <laughs> yoga. Baby goat <laughs> yoga I'd be into, I think. I'd do it. They're just hoofing around on you? What do they do? Dude, and then once, they, once they're fully grown, you have them eat people's sagebrush. I'm going to buy a few goats tonight. Maybe it's that's genius. the business plan. Maybe, you know, I think I think these two companies are not getting together. And then when they've uh, when they've served their uh, their purpose as fire cleanup, they end up in a nice Mexican restaurant as stew. Oh, <laughs> you son of a bitch. Releases the fish, kills the goats when they're old. What about goat milk, huh? Goat milk That's true. Good. There you go. There, there you go. go. Goat milk is good. When Forrest and I have traveled in Africa, that they eat a, f- a fair bit of goat there. Um, I know they mm-hmm. eat goat in South America and some other places, but it's it's a pretty abundant meat. Uh, you always go for the goat, Forrest. You're a big fan of goat. I meat. love it. Yeah, no, the good memory. No, I absolutely love the flavor of goat meat. And I actually saw a statistic um, a few months ago that said goat is actually the most consumed meat in the world, which yep. I found really interesting. Really? No shit. Uh, it, it has been than, for many years, yeah. Yeah. Um, wow. it, it's delicious. It's got this like kind of gamey taste. It's got a good, um, you know, good consistency. I always, if I, as you've noticed, Patrick, if we are traveling and goat is on the menu, I will always go for it. hundred percent. I always go for the Zebu, my friend. Wait, so Pat, have you ever had goat? You into that as a meal? I, I did the goat once or twice, uh, when, when we were in Africa, you know, we, we actually have always eaten pretty well when we're there. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then I just discovered that the zebu is just, just so much better. I just like it so much more. What's a zebu? So a zebu is, um, it's a it's a Malagasy humped cattle. So imagine kind of like a camel crossed with a cow, and these are <laughs> these are these incredible fatty cows that walk around Madagascar, causing all kinds of damage. And they really okay. are good. And as Patrick and I have found out a couple different times. You can get zebu meat like on a skewer on the side of the road. You can get steaks. It's really good um, beef that you get in Madagascar. They're super crazy looking too. Like the hump doesn't like a camel's hump makes sense. It's roundish. The zebu <laughs> hump almost looks like an elephant seal's face. Can, can you get this like in the U.S. or is that would that be classified as something super exotic? You'd have to like look hard. I've, I mean, I've never seen it. I've, I've never, never seen, seen it either. Like, you know, okay. I've been to a couple of those. Uh, there's a restaurant actually in in Malibu that serves wild game uh, around Christmas time. Go there and get an elk steak. But I've never I've never seen zebu on a menu outside of Africa. That um, could be delicious. That could be a thing. Really there's good. a business plan for you being the zebu guy in America. Dude, let's get out of the TV business for us. Seriously. Goats and zebu, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Goats and zebu. What's the most exotic thing you've eaten, Forrest and Pat? But mostly Forrest, because I know you've been to some. Re- I know you. I just know you've eaten some crazy ass shit. Oh man, I don't even like. I don't even know. I mean, I've eaten a lot of like piranha, a lot of frogs. Frogs really taste like chicken, like they say. They do. Yeah, they do. It's just kind of a stringy white meat. But I think the grossest one, or at least the hardest one for me to get through, is eating rat. Um, oh. You, yeah, you ate a yeah, rat. It's, it's it's yucky. I've eaten rat a few Ugh. times. Um, so in in Africa, we have this rat called Nimbeva, which is like it's it's really more like a mole than a rat. So just you know, imagine yeah. a rat that's <laughs> more disgusting. Um, and uh, I went to this this tribal council thing once where I was trying to get some information, and uh, they brought out this whole roasted like hair still on it. Oh, brown God. rat, yes. and if I had turned it down, it would have been, you know, very insulting. So I, 
I took my little piece and with my sadzo, which is like ground cornmeal and put it in my mouth and, you know, smiled and grinned like it was so good. And honestly, I don't even remember what it tasted like because I was so yeah. in my own head about eating it that I was like, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. Yeah, 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 totally. <laughs> that's 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 <laughs> swallowed it down. I wasn't even trying to be funny. You you described the whole rat coming out. And I believe the noise that came out of me was. Phew. Yeah, <laughs> like I was I felt like a little tickle in my throat, like I was going to puke for a second. Yeah, it's 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 so gross. It's not. No one should eat rats. I'm sorry. It's that's na that's nasty. That's some yeah. utter. That's some utter gross trash. <laughs> we ate some seal in Greenland. Um, you know, I was on a big production there. Is you know, forty people camping, and um, we use all, all local uh, food, which you know they harvest sustainably. And seal sure. is very abundant there, and. Um, you know, we're up on the glacier all day and then we'd come down to camp and they would make this nice seal meat stew. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, it tasted, was it good? Uh, it was hard to it was hard to get through the meat. And when you bite into the piece of meat, as your teeth break down the fibers, this like it like rockets this like oily substance into your mouth. Ugh. And so it's, it's actually fucking disgusting. Um, <laughs> Doesn't sound then, good. Dude. And then no. I was on like day six of the trip. Not to get gross here, but. So I'm like day six. Nah, get gross. Get gross. And, and I just realized, I was like, I've only taken a piss. I haven't even had the slight inclination to shit <laughs> in six days. Like, it hasn't oh, even God. been like a thought yeah. in my mind. And so <laughs> I went to the crew medic and I said, hey, man, I, I was pretty embarrassed. I was like, hey, I uh, haven't even like thought about shitting in six days. This is, I think day seven. <laughs> And he was this super fucking badass South African dude. And I don't know. I can't do the accent, but he's like, yeah, me neither, mate. He's like, I, uh, yeah, I, nobody has. A lot of people have been saying they can't shit. And I think we realized that we just weren't prepared to handle the seal meat. Yeah, yeah, bro. Listen, I don't think there you that go. anybody out here is taking shits at the moment. I, <laughs> I reckon that what's going on is the seal is stuffing us up. And, and one of these days, we're just going to have a massive blowout, my China. Dude, I'll tell you what. I want to try and get this guy on the podcast because the listeners would be fascinated, man. This guy was uh, in the he was a special forces guy for uh, he ended up moving from South Africa to, to England, was somehow in their special forces. And then he started this private security company and he has some fucking stories, man. Oh, like, yeah, dude. Sure. I mean, like the type of shit like pirates take over an oil rig. They call this guy's company. You know, he's retired now. Yeah, yeah. And like, dude, like literally like climbing out of a submarine onto an oil rig to get rid of pirates, like shit like that. If we could get him on, dude, he he, he could just go for a while. Great story. <laughs> Hell yeah. That'd be get awesome. On it. Get on it, producer. So there's some other stuff that I have seen in the news this week that I thought might be bringing up, be worth bringing up. Um, there's some, there's some fun stuff. One of my favorite things... Um, something that I've like talked to Congress about is, you know, resolving problems with habitat loss for animals. I saw that recently a judge in Brazil ruled that right outside of Rio de Janeiro, they would put in a land bridge to be built, uh, you know, fully planted with trees over the highways so that the golden lion tamarins, these gorgeous little monkeys can mm. swing safely between the trees without, uh, you know, without any problems. Nice, dude. Why are they doing that? Okay, so these, these golden lion tamarins are the incredible little primates. There's only about 3,000 of them left, and they have pretty expansive ranges, right? But when you have a pretty big range of only 3,000 of these animals left, they're spread out. And all of a sudden, mm. you know, in Rio de Janeiro, a massive city, there's freeways separating their habitat. So these animals now either have the, they either cannot cross the freeway or they have to go down and run across the road and they're obviously going to get hit. So when there's only 3,000 of them left, you know, you can't really afford for a single one of them to get hit. So putting in land bridges, plant it, literally just imagine a bridge with a forest grove over it that goes, you know, 20 feet above the highway. Now these animals and their primates are really intelligent, can safely cross between freeways to mate with others and, and, you know, hopefully contribute to the recovery of the species. That's awesome. I love that kind of stuff. And it's the kind of thing that I think we just need more of in general, right? Like we've done a good job industrializing all over the world, putting in awesome freeways and buildings and all these things that we need as human beings. Mm -hmm. Now is time to like go and revisit that and be like, hey, why don't we put in some land bridges? Why don't we put some trees on the tops of skyscrapers? They, they do that right. in Singapore a lot. And it, you know, it's beautiful. You see it all over Instagram. Incorporating wildlife and growth and like organic 
nature into cities. And I, I love that stuff. I think it's awesome. I think it's what we need to be doing. So here's something that I like, this has become like kind of a controversial thing too. I, I think okay. is grass, like having lawns all over the U S it's like a nostalgic thing whenever I see a nice green lawn. But nowadays people are kind of like, well, we should be using that to grow stuff that's beneficial for the environment. Is that like ridiculous? So yes and no, right? First of all, lawns take up a ton of water. Especially out here. Yeah, yeah, in some places. And that's no good, right? So if you live in a desert, if you live in Palm Springs and you have a cushy lawn, that is a waste of water, no doubt about it. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, if you're living in a suburb in Burbank and you're watering your lawn, do you think that planting a bunch of native weeds in your garden it's is going to help anything? No, it's right. not. You know, it's not like you're you're bringing back the ecosystem in your your thirty foot by thirty foot front yard by putting a bunch of native weeds in. Like that's not going to do anything. <laughs> the best right. option, in my opinion, is meat in the middle. Right? We have really cool native plants in California that look good. They're decorative. In fact, one of them, the Dudleya, got poached to the point of near extinction. Um, hmm. You know, go and and I'm not saying go and do that, obviously, but go and get <laughs> native plants that look good, that are drought tolerant, that'll do well here in California. So you don't have to run your hose pipe 365 days a year, plant yeah. those in your yard, make it attractive, you know, and we've all seen it, right? We've all, we've all seen those pictures or been to Palm Springs and seen the beautiful cactus garden with the cool rock walkway. It looks better when you incorporate yeah. the natural organic stuff that should be there in that ecosystem into the environment. It looks way better than when you see a massive green golf course in Las Vegas. And you're like, this looks weird. Like this doesn't look yeah. right being here. Dude, I, I was, so we had a really bad drought in, uh, California. That was maybe like three years ago. I mean, we have droughts all the time, but one that was really bad. Um, right. And uh, I was listening to the, I, I'm one of those people that still listens to AM radio when I'm in my car, which <laughs> I, I get made fun of for. Uh, but I was listening to it because like they were saying like, limit your showers, like get a shower timer. So I got yep. like the little shower timer that limits you to like three minutes, whatever. They were like, you know, if you only take a piss and your piss is pretty clear, maybe you don't flush every time. I was doing all this shit, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, I see, so I'm listening to the radio and the host was talking and he said, there were at least, because they published to shame people. Do you guys remember this? No. Wa uh, water violators or water abusers. They, they published the list so you could actually see people's names that were violating the drought because it was mm -hmm. just a monetary penalty. They weren't shutting off your water. And there was a Saudi sheik that owned 10 different houses in Beverly Hills <laughs> that were each using 25,000 gallons a day or more. Oh, my God. And, and the, the radio host was like, he's, and he doesn't live here. He doesn't live in any of them. So I was just like, the radio host was like, man, like, me and my wife were like pissing on top of each other's piss. And like, this guy's using 250,000 gallons a day. I just feel like a stupid fucking idiot. <laughs> to get, to get a little deeper in that whole rabbit hole. So we have a big problem with water usage and the way that it's structured in the United States. Right. And a bit, one of the reasons being if you like where I am out here in Montana, right. And further South, like in Utah and Idaho and places like that, and if you're a farmer, I'm sorry if I'm going to upset you, but this is the truth about the system, is you get an allotment of water, right? Say your allotment, I'm going to make up these numbers. Say it's 1,000 gallons, right? That's your allotment of water to use to water your crops. Obviously, it's way, way more than that. If you mm -hmm. don't use 1,000 gallons in a year, then next year you're going to have an allotment of 900 gallons, right? Gotcha. So what ends yeah. up happening is come like November, December, when the crops are all done, right? We're done harvest. Everything's over. Snow's coming. And I know this because I worked on a ranch in, Nevada, in Elko, Nevada, um, and I saw them doing this while I was there doing biological stuff. Come like, you know, August, September, whatever, October, November, getting towards the end of the year, things are starting to freeze. The crop harvest is done. In order to maintain your water rights as a farmer or rancher, you are going to flood your fields with as much water as you can so that next year, and, there's, and for in some states there's a penalty and most there isn't, so that next year they go, hey, 
this guy actually needed 1,200 gallons instead of 1,000. We need to up his allotment. And so everybody starts doing that, and they will just oh, waste God. water, as much water as they can, to try and up their allotments year after year. And it's just, it's like a race to the bottom, right? Where every single person that is doing this is going to use up as much water as they can so that they don't get their allotment taken down. Because if they get their allotment taken down too much, then they cannot expand and continue to grow crops. So it's like this very vicious cycle with the way that it's set up where every year farmers will use, they'll lean on the subsidy with the water and they'll use up as much water as they can so that next year they have more water, which is, it's absolutely bonkers. Yeah. Um, you know, especially out West where we basically are in constant drought. Are you surprised that, that the, the, the state government didn't figure out a good way to do the system? Like, of course not. They're, they're and then the, moronic. <laughs> and then they won't change it because it's how it is. It caught, you know, they're like, oh, well, that's the bottom of the list thing to deal with now. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I was looking through some of our uh, some of our feedback from the Brosners and the Wild Bunch. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> and someone, uh, actually two different people asked for some behind the scenes of Extinct or Alive. Oh, like an interesting go. story. Uh, they said, who's the most interesting person you met along the way? What was the biggest I fucked up moment so far? Just like a little, <laughs> they, they really enjoy like the behind the scenes of, of, the, uh, of one of the shows. I like what, that. What comes to mind for us? What, what jumps right into your mind? Man. The most interesting people that we've met. You know, I think for some reason, the first thing that jumps to my mind, the, the and Patrick, you'll remember this. It was also one of the like, it, it's kind of a two for one, right? So we were in a cave in Zanzibar trying to get a blessing from a witch doctor to who, if this witch doctor would allow us to see these evil spirits, maybe we'd be able to track down these leopards. And without his permission, it would be, you know, kind of a faux pas. So we went in to meet this, this witch doctor and we waited very respectfully. And I remember the woman in the, in the cave where the witch doctor was performing the ceremony. Um, she had paid the witch doctor like four goats to fix her of the ailment um, of which someone else had placed on her for like three chickens. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> so it was just like super fucked up. And then we went and sat there and we sat down and I was, you know, you remember this, Patrick, super respectful, like talk to the witch doctor and we're like, Hey, you know, do you think that we'll be successful with this? Like, do you think that we'll, things will be go well with the, with the leopard? And he's like, no. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> well, would you be willing to like, you know, bless us and like grant us like a safe journey and, and, you know, wish us the best in finding the leopard. And he's like, no, he's like, I don't want you to find the leopard. There aren't any leopards. And he just like, we just kept hitting like dead wall after dead wall. And I was like, is there, <laughs> is there anything you could do to help us here? And he's like, no, I'm not going to help you. And I just remember when it came out in the show and edit, it was just like him being like, Okay, good luck, because that was what he said at the end. <laughs> I was yeah, like, yeah. yeah, all right, thanks, man. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we didn't get a whole lot. I mean, the ceremony itself was cool for the woman who appeared to just have, like, whooping cough or whatever. Right. Um, mm. But, yeah, it, I mean, I that part of it I thought was really funny. What what language were they speaking? Is that Swahili? Uh, I don't recall, to be quite honest. But someone was translating for us, and, uh, or for us, I should say, and uh, she came in. She was coughing her fucking head off. This is pre-COVID, and uh, thank the, God she was really sick, you know, and and uh, I think she was pregnant too. I'm pretty yeah. sure. Yeah, she was. And, yeah. and she was super sick, and she said, uh, "I'm sick. I I think you know someone has put a curse on me." And he said, "I know. I'm the one who put the curse on you. Right. One of your neighbors paid me three chickens to put to put the curse on you. I'll remove the curse for three goats." Yep. And she was Wait, like, sure, what? like, whatever, yes. <laughs> and part of the ceremony, and by no means am I making fun of the ceremony. This is part of no, the culture. No. Part mm -hmm. of the ceremony involved taking a little sip of some urine. Sure did. No. Yep. Uh, she was still coughing after the ceremony, but <laughs> I'm going to assume it went away later. Oh, urine's sterile, man. It's, it's be fine. You know, you don't want to eat a piece of shit, but urine's okay. The other thing is when we when we showed up, we met the witch doctor and he was wearing a Boston Red Sox t-shirt. That's right. <laughs> in the middle of a jungle in Zanzibar. <laughs> What's up with that? Well, they so what happens is they ship a lot of clothing. So you know how, uh, like during the a American League championship game, right? As soon as the team wins to go to the World Series, they all put their t-shirts on that say American League champs. Well, it's yeah, because yeah. they've already made them for both teams. 
Right. Right. So the team that doesn't win, they ship uh, the clothing to Africa as part of like just donations of clothing and stuff like that. Oh, okay. So you you do see a lot of that there, but we were like, and you know, in the middle of this pretty gnarly jungle in Zanzibar, and we were like, yeah, that's not that Boston Red Sox T-shirt's not quite what we were hoping for. Could you do you have anything else, (laughs) Patrick? But you know what? Actually, you reminded me of when we were talking about that story. Something that never came to air in any light. Tell the story about Kendall, the producer, and what happened to her. Oh, man, that was that was an ordeal, my friend. <laughs> yeah, we had a producer on the show um, who we had flown from Well, we were in Zanzibar, and we were sit, spent a lot of time sitting in blinds at night uh, looking for this leopard. Yeah. And one of the producers, you know, we had a medic who was a really good guy, good medic from Kenya, and... Um, one of the producers had gone to the medic and then, you know, as the EP of the show, he comes and tells me and he tells Forrest, he's like, uh, you know, your producer is sick. She got, uh, she was not feeling well. And she came to me and she has this big, uh, just looks like a big bug bite on her butt cheek. Mm. We're like, okay, well, you know, let us know. And we talked to her and she's like, yeah, no, it's good. We'll continue on. So then we flew from there to Madagascar. When we're in Madagascar, the bite is getting worse and the medic needs to do surgery on the bite just in the at the hotel. So he uh, basically makes an incision, drains the fluid, whatever. We then take uh, a flight to a small airstrip where we get uh, basically land on like a fucking dirt airstrip in the middle of nowhere. Oh, yeah. And then take a four hour boat ride. But she was still like... So she had to be flown out of there. So it must have been some serious shit. Yeah. So now we're in the really in the middle of nowhere. Like it's a four-hour boat ride to a plane that, only, you know, you have to get a hold of someone to come pick you up. And then she starts getting really it was sick. So to be clear, it was a flight to Madagascar, then to a smaller airport, then to a flight five hours to a dirt strip, to a four-hour car ride, to a two-hour boat ride, to another car ride to where we were staying. So yeah, condition this whole time, like okay, like like hanging in, okay. feeling worse at night, but just thinking she's gonna get through it. Yep. Then it's getting, then it starts getting worse pretty quickly. Starts getting worse and worse and worse, and like is a hundred and four to a hundred and five fever for like two days. Oh mm-hmm. shit! And they thought maybe it's malaria. Um, the medic didn't have a malaria test kit, but it's like now to the point where it's like this, this person's gonna die. Um, yeah, so she she broke into. I remember because she, you know, the other medic was like, "Forrest, you have some medical training, right?" And I was like, "Yeah, not like you, but a little bit." He's like, "Would you come and give me a second opinion?" And I went in to visit with her, and uh, she was she was just drenched in sweat, shivering like feverishly. And I was like, "Can I see this bite zone?" And uh, you know, it was on her butt cheek. And she pulled down her pants and showed me this bite, and it was. It was like if you've ever seen like one of the old Spider-Mans where there's the black veins like coming off of it yeah. from from sepsis from like a, a gnarly infection. And I was like, this is not good. Yeah, it was it was pretty gnar. So it was like, you know, I we, we did a night thing. We were out on a night hike um, and came back and I went to check and uh, she was like fucking near death. And so like I I went to bed for a few hours, went as soon as the sun rose and checked I was like, she's like essentially a corpse. So then we made the call um, to to evacuate, and it was the most insane evacuation ever. I went with her, um, got to a hospital in Madagascar, which was not good, um, and then got mm. to a hospital in South Africa, which was shockingly the hospital in Johannesburg. I, I thought was horrendous. I mean, jo- Johannesburg's a big like modern city in a lot of ways. They didn't give a fuck that she was like essentially sitting there dying. Yep. So then got, we got an emergency airlift from a 16 and a half hour flight from there to New York. She got rushed to the hospital there, um, discovery channel. And, uh, uh, was good enough to like get like the bet, like literally like the head of the hospital at NYU to meet her there. And long story short, she had something called African tick bite fever from a tick that had burrowed into her ass when we were sitting in this blind without her knowing, and then that turned into a staph infection on top of it. Yikes. And uh, it was not good, but uh, made a full recovery. It's doing, yep. doing fine now, but it was, it was fucking scary, man. And I'll tell you this, the close, I think the closest I've ever been to dying in my entire life was the, the medevac plane that we got on this dirt airstrip. We flew through a fucking, I mean, dude, 
such a bad thunderstorm. You, I remember you telling me that. And so it's me sitting next to the pilot. She's in a stretcher with a medic that didn't, you know, didn't give a shit about what was happening. And we were flying through this thunderstorm in the smallest plane, dude, the size of a car. And I mean, like falling like hundreds of feet. It was so bad. Oh my God. It was so fucking bad. I was like, this is fuck. Fuck, I'm going to die in a plane crash in Madagascar. (laughs) And then that doesn't make the show. Oh, no. Stuff like that never makes the show, you know, because it's not part of it. No. Hey, but that's why people are listening to this podcast, because you only get to hear that kind of shit here. So speaking of people listening to this podcast, I got an email from Dusty Smith day before yesterday. And Dusty writes, my son Chase Smith will be 11 years old on September 16th. He must wait. Am I this far behind? Hold on. No, September's coming up. It always comes right after August. Yeah. (laughs) Oops, redo. Nope. Um, Dusty writes, my son Chase Smith will be 11 years old on September 16th. He absolutely loves everything you do. We listen together to the Wild Times podcast. He would love to get a shout out or something from you. I think he may have most of 20 episodes memorized. You have awakened his need to know more things, which I love. You also made him feel great because you at 13 needed training wheels on the bike. And he is still (laughs) trying to ride a bike with training wheels, but he is working on it. Awesome. Thank you again. (laughs) Hell yeah. So from all of us here at the Wild Times, uh, Chase, we just wanted to say happy birthday, buddy. Thank you uh, for listening. Thank you to your dad for writing in. We love hearing that. And dude, you're only 11. You're rocking training wheels. You're fine, Chase. I was 13 riding yeah. those suckers. All right? You're good. You're ahead of the game. Yeah, that said, Chase, if you find yourself at 13 still using training wheels, you should stop riding bikes and just be one of those people who can't. Yeah, yeah, get a skateboard. You're already cooler than Forrest, <laughs> Chase. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> For sure. Uh, well, guys, this has been fun, but I do think it's time. For what? <laughs> the Battle Royale. Yeah. What do you got, Pat? This one was submitted by one of the Brosners, and I like it a lot. I think this is a good one. Uh, all mm. of you should reach out, submit Battle Royale ideas. A lot of fan engagement. Who, who sent it, man? Brosner. Yeah. Will copied and pasted it into the thing. Uh, <laughs> all right, so here it is. Look, a lot of people believe in heaven and hell. A lot of people believe that there's nothing after you die. And a lot of people believe in reincarnation in this world. Mm. Uh, reincarnation is pretty appealing. I think if, if yeah. it were to happen, Ritep would come back as some sort of slug just moving from leafy thing to leafy thing, looking for a bite. Um, <laughs> cheap shot, cheap shot. But, uh, okay, Weak. so here, here's the question. You die. I'm sorry, but you, you're dead. Uh, <laughs> you, you get reincarnated as a, as a pet. A, how, a pet. You're going to be someone's mm. pet. Uh, so what animal would you be? Where in the world would you live? And who oh. would be your owner that you're very loyal to? Oh, my God. Okay. All right. Take us away, Peter. Yeah, you're nah. first. All right. What? I was first last week. I can't do two weeks okay. in a row can first. We, can, uh, can we all just rule out Michael Vick's dogs right away, or are we going to lead with <laughs> No, that's that's, that's not ruled out. That's not okay. ruled out. If someone okay. wants to do that. <laughs> all right, fine. Up. I'll go. I'll go. All right, what do you got? All right. I would, well, first of all, I'm going to be the best pet in the world. Uh, not necessarily normally a domestic pet. Uh, I'm going to be a tiger. That's right. I'm going to be a tiger. Joe's tiger. Joe exotic. Hey, don't step on my fucking story. Sorry. Jeez. Sorry. She's for us. <laughs> so I'm going to be a tiger. And there was a man named Joe exotic who had many tigers oh boy. in a big, what looked like a fun zoo slash sanctuary. Um, so I would be a tiger at Joe exotic zoo, uh, a white tiger. That's right. And, uh, I would be very well trained and I would get to eat lots of old Walmart meat and pizzas. Anything that the crew did not take out of the truck. They were smashing frozen pizza, weren't they? The tigers. <laughs> yeah. And, um, I would live, uh, in South Florida. Just because I feel like that's the kind of shit that goes on in South Florida. All right. That's pretty good. I'll jump in here. I'll jump in here. So what kind of animal? Where would I live? And who's my owner? So uh, I got it. 
I'm going to be a Chihuahua. Now, the reason why is uh, I uh, I like the idea of being a dog. They have a fun life. They get to they get to jump and run and and chew on things, which I like doing. And uh, and people treat their Chihuahuas differently. They carry them to restaurants. They carry them shopping in the purse. You know, you, you, you're going along for the journey. You're going to do everything if you're a nice, small, weightless dog. Weightless? Uh, There's I mean, weight. What, what's a chihuahua weigh? Four or five pounds? Six Ten, pounds? Ten, maybe. Weighs next to nothing. Okay, all, right. all right. So then that brings me to the question, well, where am I going to live and whose chihuahua am I going to be? <laughs> Very quickly, probably about 12 years ago, a friend of mine who's a comedian, we were just out drinking with some friends, and he was like, dude, you got to do me a huge favor tonight. I have to stop by this party. He's like, well, just go. It'll be like a half hour. Okay. I'm like, all right. I don't, I don't want to go see anyone I don't know. I was like this when I was 25. Yeah. I want to be with like my five friends at the same bar where we know the bartender. <laughs> yeah. I don't like going to fucking house parties where I don't know people. <laughs> he convinces me to go. We go up into the Hollywood Hills. It's fucking Paris Hilton's house. <laughs> no okay? way. Now, I'm, I'm not name dropping this. Mm-hmm. I'm livid because we get there and... There's, it's in the middle of the fucking Hollywood Hills. There's no service, right? So we go in. He finds Paris. He's like, hey. She's like, oh, my God, I got to show you something. He leaves me. So now I'm alone in the backyard at this party. I don't know a single person. And he's somewhere in the house with Paris Hilton. And so I just have no, I don't know what to do. So I just am pretending to text. Yeah. Even though I classic, don't have service. Classic move. Yeah. So I'm just sitting. It's awful. He disappears for an hour, finally comes back. But what I did notice when we were in the backyard was Paris Hilton had a fucking like three story doghouse that was probably 1400 square feet for her chihuahuas. (laughs) Wow. They were living in the lap of luxury. (laughs) Okay. But here's the thing. Here's the thing, guys. Paris Hilton has since moved from L.A. to Ibiza. Oh. An island off the coast of Spain known for ah. its fun beaches and wild parties. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just going to live there, man. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live in a three-story dog condo in Ibiza <laughs> yeah. and eat a lot of pizza. And uh, <laughs> and I'm a Chihuahua, and that's what I'm doing. Yeah, that's a that's oh, that's man. a good Patrick, one. I I know you haven't ru- won a lot of battle royales, but this is this one's on. <laughs> I'm not gonna win. The the listeners no hate for me. the first time no, ever. I'm not right. angry about your selection. All right, right so, fair enough. So here's mine. Right, I think we've discussed this before on Zipod, but Pablo Escobar when he was around imported Ooh. a whole lot of exotic creatures. To his insane compound in uh, where was he? Medellin. Yeah, yeah, I think, I think it was Medellin. Yeah, so very cool. Whatever had a bunch of creatures. He he had tigers. He had lions. He had kangaroos. He was all over the place. But the one creature that he imported that's still there today, running amok because it has such a fantastic life, is <laughs> a bunch of hippos. Okay. So imagine this. Yeah, imagine you're a hippo. And you're living this life in Africa where everything wants to kill you and eat you. Big bull hippos want to kill you. You live in the Zambezi River that can be lined head to tail with Nile crocodiles. And you're just a baby. You're just a little fat pink pig swimming in this river. When all of a sudden (laughs) you get scooped up, you fly first class. First class in the cargo. Yeah, you're you're Pablo's hippo. You're not flying coach. Come on. (laughs) You get scooped up. You get dropped off in Colombia. In the Amazon jungle, where there is all the water hyacinth you can eat, mm. and nothing that can that can even remotely damage you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And now, as you grow up to be a pissed off giant hippo, <laughs> this guy the, who who had you in his incredible drug compound is now gone. He's dead. He's been assassinated. Who cares? So instead of going down with the rest of the animals, you're just gonna let yourself out the gate, hop into the nearest river. And spend the rest of your life fucking and eating water hyacinth and making more Columbia hippos. It's a perfect life. Mm-mm. Hey, uh-uh. Forrest, uh, real quick, how do hippos shit? What do they do when they shit? Oh, they uh, they spin their tails around to spread their feces in a in a spray like motion. Now, so that they uh, is... and they always come out of the water to forest. So you're yeah. you're pretty excited about that. You're gonna you're gonna spray oh, your shit that's around big time. You know, I would be a hippo just to just to poop. What? Nope. Mm-mm. You don't. No, like no. There, this. I have a big, big problem with this. 
The main problem that I have with this is that like somebody who's been in jail for a long time or somebody who's gone to war, that you would be mentally damaged if you were rescued. You would not be a happy, happy hippo. You would be fucked up. You'd be like, what's going on? I'm, I, I'm yeah. trying to defend myself. You're looking for shanks. I mean, you, you would be a fucking insane if you were a hippo that was pulled out of its natural habitat and put in this nice, you know, next to Pat's dog so, in Paris Hilton's fucking backyard. No good. Is that why there's now 80 of them there? Because they're having such a bad time. They're just humping like jackrabbits, making more hippos. That's really why you want to fucking do this, so that you can fuck another hippo, you sick hippo. Whatever, pig. dude. But he said... The listeners decide. Yeah, I mean, I don't... Th- I also agree he will not be a happy, happy hippo. He's <laughs> going to be a hungry, hungry hippo. Because <laughs> he's not going to know how to fend for himself. You've been waiting to say hungry uh, hippo the whole time. He was looking for that. He I, really was. Literally, I couldn't... It couldn't get out fast enough. I'm really excited <laughs> about it. I'm going to celebrate with another cocktail alone in the dark. Yes. There you go. What a move. Guys. Well, guys, it's been a pleasure. Um, if you enjoyed this podcast as a... As a wild bunch, as a as a brosner, yeah. bromo sapiens, yeah, bromo sapien, brosexual, whatever <laughs> you happen to be, you know, it's twenty twenty. We don't judge. Um, Fuck now. Go go uh, go on to iTunes. You know, leave us a five star review. Look, guys, we're not going to sell you ads. We're not going to be those people. We do this because it's fun for us, and all we ask for in return is a sweet review because it makes us feel good, and we like to read them out loud. So hit us up there. Hit us up on social media. At the Wild Time nope, Pod. Nope, you're Peter never, Peter. ever going to get it right. It's at Wild... What is it? At Wild Times Pod on social media. Also, there will, uh, be a, there will be a poll to vote on. So leave that review and then go to the poll and obviously vote for the professor. Yuck. Yes, All right, yes, that's yes. enough plugging our shit. Good night. <laughs> hey, night. have fun in Montana, Forrest. Yeah. Try Thanks, not to guys. die out there. Okay. We'll touch base next week. Love you all, except you two. Love the listeners. Love everybody. Later, brah. Good night. See you guys. (laughs) Bye-bye.